Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It is Monday, September 18th, 2023. You're listening to episode 171 of the Can I Say Something podcast. I'm your host, Anna Recluse, with a Juicy Capoose, Damien. Joining me today is... Derek McDuff. On today's show, with another anniversary of 9-11 come and gone, we'll discuss the podcast blowback, which asks the question, did we deserve it? After that, we'll get into a little bit of what we've been watching, including Reservation Dogs, Sisu, The Flash, and much, much more. Right into the show. Can I say something? Podcast at gmail.com. At Bicycle on Twitter. Subscribe on Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Spotify. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend, family member, or stranger. What's up, man? How are we doing? Doing well. Uh, yes. Not not too bad. I am feeling a lot more refreshed than last time when I was running on about two hours of sleep and yeah. hung over from... <laughs> seven days straight of drinking beer uh alcohol uh, yeah. uh drinks of alcohol in the double digits um so i am much better yes. this time much more astute much more aware much nice. more alive much more alive nice yeah yes i can imagine those um probably a lot of margarita drinks probably a lot of sugary mixed drinks on a place like that right i did have a lot of those you know i mixed yeah. it up i had some espresso martinis i had some seltzers you know uh well, I mean, yeah, I have 15 drinks a day. You gotta, you gotta have some variety in there. You gotta spice it up. You gotta have like an old fashioned or two, maybe a white, few white Russians. You know, just the variety is the spice of life. You know, it it really is. It absolutely is. Um, so let's get to some uh, movie news. Uh, on this podcast, we talk a lot about like what we talk about when we talk about movies. That old, um, <laughs> what's that story? I just had it pulled up here. Uh, the uh, Raymond Carver, what we talk about when we talk about love, is a famous uh, mm. short story written yes. by him. So on the show, we talk about what we talk about <laughs> when we talk about movies, talk about the discourse in movies, in moviedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, a article this week in, in Vulture, written by uh, Lane Brown, is titled De- De- The Decomposition of Rotten Tomatoes. So this, this is an article about like the discourse in movies because you know you go on Rotten Tomatoes and you're like oh movie has you know 70 something percent on Rotten Tomatoes that's pretty good I guess I guess I'll go see it oh it has a 30 percent Rotten Tomatoes oh it has a you know 30 percent uh critic rating 70 percent uh viewer rating well what does that mean it's like <laughs> do you ever Derek do you ever look at the Rotten Tomatoes score and go actually I was interested in seeing that movie but now I'm not going to see that movie just purely based on the Rotten Tomatoes score no, because I am an outlier, and I know how much Rotten Tomatoes sucks, but most people do that. That's the thing. That's why, that's and that's a big thing the article is about, is that Rotten Tomatoes, which is an aggregate, and it's a dumb, bad aggregate, because it's a binary thing, yeah. um, and I've talked about it on the show before, that yeah. a C-plus is the same as an A-plus, and a C-minus is the same as an F, um, and it's just good or bad. Ad. There's no, it's not like a letterbox store, an IMDb score where it's an average of like what was the ratings of on a one to five. It's just, you know, and it's, and instead of looking at like, people don't look at critics anymore, right? People don't look yeah. at like a, like you back in the day, it'd be like, oh, I like, I like Siskel or, oh, I like, you know, um, you know, like, uh, I like, um, what's her name? Um, Paul what's the lady who hated every movie? Yes, Colin <laughs> Kale. Uh, you, whoever it might be, you would find a critic that you like, and 
listen to their opinion. But now it's just there's just the critics are just an amorphous blob. And 39% of them said a movie was good. So that means most of them thought it was bad. So you don't want to see that movie. And this thing, which was at one point just a a fun little web 1.0 thing that would be like, oh, this is an interesting way to like look at movies. Now this driving force that is literally used in film advertising, and it is, and as this article uh, spells out, in a number of different ways, um, one way which was, I think, overblown by a lot of other stories, but in a number of different ways, very easy to game that system and a yeah. system that is inherently super flawed. Um, so, yeah, I, it just makes me very, very angry, the whole Rotten Tomatoes of it. Yeah. Do you think that the um, when somebody looks at a Rotten Tomatoes score, um, what do you what do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score has on the impact of people seeing movies or not seeing movies? as opposed to sort of or an organic word of mouth. If a bad movie comes out in a weekend, now it'll drop off, you know, a lot. It'll drop off 50, 60, 70% um, from one weekend to the next. Do you think that we're seeing more drop-offs, more extreme drop-offs now from, from opening weekend to the next weekend than we did back in the day when word of mouth would have either um, increased a movie's revenue or decreased it, whether based up based upon the word of mouth? I think it is. I think both those things are important. I think that the word of mouth is important and is helpful in the long run. But for that initial opening weekend, which is such a driving force for studios and their revenues with movies, the Rotten Tomatoes score is incredibly important. And we can see that, and I'll point to three examples specifically from uh, Disney movies that came out this year. Um, Disney was able to get a lot of early favorable reviews for a movie that you despise that I thought was okay, which is Ant-Man three. Yeah. Um, and you know, it got good early reviews because Disney was able to game the system and it quickly fell off a cliff. Um, but then you look at two movies that Disney kind of really fucked up by premiering at can, uh, which is the snobbiest film critics in the world. And they were like, Ooh, an Indiana Jones movie, a <laughs> movie about elements for children. Ha, poo, poo. you know? And so those movies, those movies got really bad. Yeah, they sure. started with rotten scores, like started in like the forties, like, and slowly those movies, like by the time it was starting to come out, they were, they were starting to inch their way to fresh by that. By that point, the damage had been done. They both had very bad openings. And through good word of mouth, they both had pretty good legs. Indiana Jones, you know, uh, had less so, but it still did have pretty good legs for its opening. And Elemental, which had a colossally bad, like that movie got beaten by The Flash in its opening weekend, which also just tanked. But Elemental, through eventually other critics reviewing it and through really, really good word of mouth, it had like a five times multiplier. It opened at 26 opening weekend and it ended up doing... 150 million you know like that's insanely yeah. good legs yeah um so i think that you know it is you know the the game like that critics or that rotten tomatoes plays that studios play to get rotten tomatoes scores is very impactful and if you just if you mess up like that it can really hurt you or you can play it to get to you know be very beneficial to you and it's not just audiences you know one of the things that the uh piece talks about is that these indie movies, if they have a good rating, then they'll probably get picked up by a yeah. distributor. And if they don't, they're not going to be. 
So it's it's incredibly important. This and it shouldn't be important at all. This stupid aggregate, but it is one of the most important things in uh, movies today. Yeah, it is incredibly important. You're right. I'm not saying you're not, but um, just to taking things, um, take an example of like TIFF, which which just uh, uh, finished up. Um, you know, you you do hear about like not in the indie movies. Like, there's a lot of stuff that A24 picked up. They were starring big people, so. I think when it comes to like some indie movies um, getting distribution, I think those things are sort of found in the moment, you know, like at Sundance or at TIFF or at a lot of different film festivals. Don't they go, don't they usually get picked up um, after a showing? Like if a showing goes really well, the director really liked it and the, and the, uh, the studio liked it, some representative there really liked it and they called back, they'll do, they'll, they'll, they'll buy movies there, right? And buy the distribution right at the festival, right? Yeah, that that definitely happens. You know, that happened with um, you know, a lot of the streamers are snatching up movies that yes. way. That's how Co- uh, Apple got Coda, right. uh, for example. But that still relies on, you know, critics and people receiving it well at the festival. Yeah, so that really, I mean, that sort of doesn't that um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Doesn't that uh, 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 go around and sort of divert the uh, Rotten Tomatoes? Um score at that point if you're if you're seeing for the first time the, the right tomato score is not going to have an impact on you because you know it's right there you just saw it and then the sort of the deal happened right there right i don't know honestly i don't know enough about yeah the wheeling and dealing behind the scenes yeah, yeah. to know like that that situation and sure maybe, maybe you know there there are sometimes yeah. sure sometimes it might not matter but i'm yeah. saying that it is very very important a lot of the time yeah, and it definitely does uh, um, help in getting a movie like seen by a lot of people. And you know, the the streaming thing is weird because you you don't know how many eyeballs are on a thing ever. You know, things just come out, and like a, one person might watch ten minutes of it, and they count that as a view. So yeah, when when you're talking about like a movie that, uh, you know, back in the day would be in a theater. And then it would get released on DVD. Mm-hmm. The DVDs would be like the tale of it. Like they're doing uh, seven mm-hmm. right now on. Like check. So, um, you know, that movie in Fight Club had had massive um, lifespan. The lifespan of, of the of those two movies were massively increased by the DVD sales and talking about talking about the movie when it was released on DVD. You know, going to TV, you can talk about like Family Guy was re- was literally revived from from the DVD sales. So you do have these mm-hmm. like other uh, av- avenues uh, of you know how a movie or a TV show can sort of go from a flop at the theater then be revived in a different market so you know the yeah like it's like the same thing i was saying like with elemental it's like eventually word of mouth and other critics um you know but like what did catch up with that movie but it is it's that doesn't diminish the the you know the impact that the initial you know reviews had on that you know yeah and for better or, or worse you know yeah, the thing also I want to talk about um, with this because I'm, you know, pretty fascinated by the whole structure of it is how many people are we talking about when it's when it comes to um, people looking to score like that and be like, well, I don't know, I guess I'm not going to see that. It's like, you know, we're well, they we're, literally we're, use it in the advertising. Yeah, you know, if do. the movie is certified fresh, they'll throw that shit on trailers. You know, they'll put it on posters. Yeah, what what I was going to say was like we're chronically on, online, right? So first of all, mm-hmm. how many how many people in the general population are chronically online like us? Probably not a lot, right? And so then you have to take a percentage of those people that are chronically online, 
then how many people are chronically online when it comes to movies, then how many people don't have like media literacy to the point where they will know, okay, this director made this type of movie or this writer made this type of movie. So I'm going to watch the movie. I'm going to go see the movie. Like you and I will see a movie, right? Based on the director, based on the actor, mm-hmm. the writer. Sometimes we'll go based on that. Like we started the conversation by saying, does this impact you and I based on to our, our, whether or not we're going to see a movie or not? And you said, no, and I agree. I don't see movies like that um, either. But how many people do, you know, how many, what, what, what subsection of the populace that we're talking about that are, that are chronically online that look at Rotten Tomatoes and, and then base the decision off of that uh, tomato meter reading? Hey, right? A lot, because I, th- I think the, pe- the less literate you are, the more likely you are to base, because you don't know yeah. anything about these directors, you don't know, and you just see a movie, the trailer comes up and says, and like so many do, especially yeah. like TV spots will be like, like whatever is certified fresh, you know, or like you'll just see it on the poster and you're like, oh, this movie, a lot of critics think this movie is a good movie. I'll go see it, you know, or like, you know, just it's it's that same thing with word of mouth. You might not go check Rotten Tomatoes, but you're like, oh, yeah, didn't like I remember when Indiana Jones was coming out, like I talked to somebody who was like, oh, yeah, didn't the critics like hate that movie? You liked it, really? You know, <laughs> like it's, it's you know, stuff like that. It's it's yeah. it's it's just dominates. <laughs> I it's the I, I honestly do think that the less you know media literate you are, the less you know about movies, the more you are able to be like, well, I don't know much about movies, but this is this thing that tells me if movies are good or not tells me it's a bad movie, so I'm not going to go see it. True, um, but then how many people go to movies despite the score? You know, how many people went to see The Flash or some other uh, you know superhero movie? That got absolutely trounced on Rotten Tomatoes, and they still went to see it because they're like, either it's a, you know, Damien, uh, the Flash did really bad at the box office. That's a bad example. Did it? It did know. horrible, or it did horrible at the box office. It was a humongous yeah. flop, one of the biggest flops in the history of movies. It, it did, but I'm saying, like, how many people still went to see it despite the score and despite how badly it did? I think there's a lot of people that just go to movies just for a night out. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm sure, assuming, sure, yeah. but like, yeah. you know, that's not a good example of one because that's a movie that did badly. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like sure if, you, if you were yeah. like to say like the Super Mario movie or something, yeah. you know, like that's a movie I think did okay. not do great. Yeah, um, and I think that's a little like kids' movies are a little more Teflon when it comes to bad scores. Yeah, uh, but um, and I'm like, I'm not saying it's like l- the only factor, but it is one of the most important factors, and yeah. it shouldn't be an important factor at all. Yeah, I agree. It shouldn't be. I'm just I, whenever I see stuff like this, you know, it's it's my um, sample size of like and my um, barometer for for what people are talking about and how people and like going back to, to how we started the conversation, how we talk about movies. I really think that a, a lot of people I'm not going to say most people, because, again, my sample size is very small. But <clears throat> whenever I talk to people about movies in general, um, a lot of times what I hear people say is I, I didn't even know that was out. So if I take that, you know. Uh, uh, perspective if a person doesn't even know a movie's out right how tuned in are they going to be to even the discourse around that movie and then how tuned in are they going to be to what people are saying about that movie just in general but then also specifically about the Rotten Tomato score I just think people are so um, not tuned into like I said not chronically online not online at all and not paying attention enough to the zeitgeist around movies to be affected that much about the score itself. So, oh, uh, sure. If this theoretical straw man doesn't know that a movie is out, <laughs> yeah, he might not go see 
a movie based on a Rotten Tomato score. But if he doesn't know the movie's out, he's not going to see the movie anyway in this hypothetical situation yeah. that you've crafted. So I don't know what your point but is. It's a real per- it's a real person, and I think people are much more um, unaware of the conversations around movies than we think they are. So, so this person who doesn't go to the movies is not going to this particular movie. Is what you're saying? I think people. So they're are just- not going to the movies anyway, though. They're not well. They're they're watching things online. They're watching things, you know, streaming. And I just think that people are turning on the TV. I think what people really would like to do, honestly, is go back to just like the the TV channel <laughs> selects things for them. I think right now there's a, a major segment of the population that are uh, paralyzed by choice, and they're like, well, I I I think a lot of people would rather just sit down, turn the TV on, and have the channel already already playing a movie like midstream. I think a lot of people. Um, don't know how to choose movies based on what they like because they don't know what they like, you know. And I think there's a lot yeah, of yeah, that's would... the problem. They don't know what they like. That's this is the equivalent of that. This is the equivalent yeah. of like I don't know what to watch. Uh, the channel will choose for me. This is just the channel is is the thing choosing for them is this yeah. Rotten Tomato score. They would rather, but, yeah. But like I was saying, they would rather have it, you know, already going. They would they would rather have TNT just be like, hey, watch The Rock again. And they're like, yeah, I guess I will watch The Rock because it's on. You know, <laughs> I think a lot of this problem comes back to just like now we're putting the power into people's hands of being like, you don't have to turn the, the TV on in the middle of a Saturday and have TBS already starting a movie. Now you have to like boot up your TV. You have to choose between the streamer and then the streamer is going to have some stuff on that you may or may not like. And you're going to sit there for 40 minutes trying to decide what to watch. And I don't I, I really don't think that people are going on and be like, OK, well, I don't know what to watch. Let me check Rotten Tomatoes and see what the most popular thing is. But I yeah, like I think once again, you're like I don't think people are going on and checking Rotten Tomatoes, but I think it is something yes, that is yeah. so big that it like permeates the conversation about any particular movie f- um, for anyone who is keeping their ear to like who's not even keeping like anybody who's going to go see a movie like word gets around about it, whether or not a movie is quote unquote good or bad. Yeah, true. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, let's move on to summer movie wager. We basically yeah. spoiled it last time because I don't. I didn't check between then and now, but I don't think the positions changed much uh, from the last episode. So they you, did not. Yeah, they didn't at all. Okay, so if you listen to last episode, no. it kind of spoiled for the conclusion of the 2023 summer movie wager. Uh, I, Damien, has. 40 points and Derek has 39 points making Damien mm-hmm. the winner of the 2023 summer movie wager. Good. Congratulations. <laughs> well done. You, you had yeah, to get play. me back for beating you by beating you last year. So you had to yes. beat me. Right. You know, Damien, I got to yes. say, yes, I, I got to say you Go had ahead. some very, very smart <laughs> things that you did. You did. I would say, first of all, you played, because I went by the way also like I have no slouch like I in the actual like some movie wager on the film cast I beat three of the five hosts which I think is you know not bad uh you know we were both in the top thousand you know both in the top third um but you know you did some things very very well uh first of all you put (laughs) Oppenheimer really high yeah like you had Oppenheimer at five it was actually four which is higher than almost like anyone uh definitely higher than me uh, and the other thing you did that was very smart is you you put Transformers Rise of the Beasts on the list instead of Fast X. Yep. That was a stroke of genius by you. Like that <laughs> Thanks, that netted Thanks, you that netted you five points. You know, I I really thought Fast X was gonna win. So I'm glad that you had the foresight yep. and the thought to do that because that was what made the difference. That 
you know i yeah. lost by one point that got you five so you know good yeah. on you for doing that yeah i'm gonna write a book next year uh, about how to how to beat <laughs> the summer movie wager um, some <laughs> tactics some strategies so uh look for that in quarter three of 2024 so yeah getting mm, right on uh-huh. that yep uh-huh. yeah <laughs> just so step one, uh, skip, forget two movies that were two big movies. Uh, step two, uh, email the guy to be like, hey, can I can I have a mulligan, please? And uh, step three is not have him rent your back and uh, you win anyway, anyway. So there's that. Because of it. <laughs> because of it, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, virtual sh- shake of the hands. Good game. Yes. Better, yes. Luck, better so. luck next year. Uh, yeah, yeah. Coming for you next next year. We gotta get uh, Andy and Deej. They really do. This. They really do. Like they don't like to participate in those type of things for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. But anyways, um, let me. Because we you always some... beat them, is why. Yes, exactly. Uh, let me ask you a question that's that's been going viral on TikTok this week. Mm-hmm. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? You know, it's really funny because the t- when I first saw this meme crop up, I was literally watching Gladiator. <laughs> it's amazing so so then <laughs> like, right then you were thinking about it yeah i was like oh shit what are the odds like i'm like how often do you think of the roman empire and i just look up and i just see a father to a murdered son husband to a murdered <laughs> wife i will have my revenge in this life or the next and i'm just like oh all right i mean honestly though i'm more more interested in the greek empire right of uh, course. you know the ancient greeks was more, was more my my speed um <laughs> how about you how often do you think of the Roman Empire. <laughs> Probably more than the average person. Um, listening really? to okay. a lot of uh, Dan, uh, uh, what's his name? Does the uh, Hardcore History. Dan Carlin does a podcast uh, called Hardcore History. Uh, they're four, four to five hours per episode now. They started off as like half hour, then they creeped up to an hour. Now they're up to like five hours. And the last one he did was called uh, Supernova, Supernova in the East, which was about the sort of rise of... Uh, Japan as an as an imperial sort of country back started in the 1500s went all the way up to the Second World War, uh, but he does cover um, you know other other empires covers you know the Roman Empire obviously covered uh, some of Greek um, did a lot of World War One uh, episodes about that um, so yeah probably you know I think when you reach a certain age you are you are either like a car guy or you're a history guy. <laughs> Or you're, you know, one of those type of guys. If you're, if you're a straight white man in the United States, you know, around the age of like, you know, thirty-five to fifty, you have to sort of pick your obsessions. <laughs> you know, it's going to be you're going to be a movie guy, you're going to be a car guy, or you're going to be a history buff. You know, one of one of the three. So sometimes right. in the middle, you can be sometimes you can sometimes, sometimes be, the Venn diagram overlaps. Yes, it does. So um, there was that, and then we'll talk about blowback, which is also another history podcast. And so it's just it's fascinating to think about like. When, when they talk about like World War II, I'm always like, what is, what was Africa, what was going on in Africa at that time? What was going on in like other countries they don't talk about, you know? Um, Rommel Turkey. was the Desert Fox. He was, yeah. He was Tunisia. They were doing a thing. Yeah. North, Northern uh, Egypt. Egypt had some stuff going on in there, but just fascinating to think about like what they built. <laughs> I think if you talk to people yeah. on there and they're always like, yeah, it's the aqueducts and it was the, uh, you know, just transportation. They built roads. They built this giant infrastructure that the world never seen before. And in some cases, they're still using those buildings and those roads and the aqueducts and all those things that they built thousands and thousands of years ago. Because I think people don't appreciate like, oh, they were they were like thousands of years even before like Jesus was a thing. You know, so it's like yeah. <laughs> so many people think of like history starting either around Jesus or 
starting, you know, whenever, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago with whoever, with uh, the founding of America, you know? So it's just, mm-hmm. just interesting to think about the, from that perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, so there's that. Um, and then, like I said before, uh, TIFF, the T- Toronto International Film Festival, concluded uh i think today or yesterday um what is your sort of uh affiliation with this do you do sort of follow along and listen to podcasts about it or you just sort of uh will watch the movies when they come out i just try to watch the movies when they come out you know i you know i try to avoid spoilers so i also try to avoid like early reviews you know i'll i'll see some of the people uh, every once in a while i'll be like oh looks like a festival is going on because this movie that i want to see that's not out for three months just got watched by a bunch of my (laughs) friends or like a bunch of people that i follow on a letterbox yeah uh, so like okay looks like there's good some like i'll just kind of like rather than look up a specific review or anything i'll just be like okay what like star rating did like this critic who i like a lot give this you know like david elric or something like did he like kills of the flower moon he gave okay he gave it four stars or whatever so you know that's that's a good sign yeah. you know stuff like that yeah the um the link i have here is from film comment i love uh, probably one of my favorite film uh podcasts other than other than ours our own right <laughs> and and uh big pick and some other ones um but <clears throat> they sort of are the only ones that will sort of have a uh you know daily uh sort of um group sesh they'll, they'll sit down um uh what's her name I'm trying to find the person's name that, that hosts this um davika garish i think her name is um she'll sit down with other film critics like at the day of, um, after seeing like, you know, three or four movies, they'll sit down and sort of say, okay, what did you see today? What'd you like? What didn't you like? That sort of thing. Um, does sound very basic, but it's <clears throat> very interesting just to get people's like first reaction. You know, you read other people's reviews and it's sort of very thought out, very well thought out, um, you know, three page, um, essays about the movie, but then just a very different thing to have people sit down the day of, right. You know, a few hours, a few hours after seeing those movies. Um, so a lot of them they talked about were, uh, Adam Neiman was on there talking about um, Dumb Money and The Boy and the Heron was one they talked about from day two. Oh, that's the one I'm so fucking excited for. The Boy and the Heron? Yeah, that I, I don't remember. That was the it had a different name then, um, but it uh, that was the movie I listed as my number one most anticipated movie of 2023 when we did that episode. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to, to go back and look at that list and see what lines up with the one. I think it was called uh, How Do You Live, right? Yeah, yeah. That was a more direct translation, I think, from yeah. the Japanese title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they sort of sit down and talk about for like forty five minutes about movies they've seen. Uh, Pedro Almodovar has a new one out this year. Um, just a lot of a lot of good discussions on there. So uh, if people aren't aware, TIFF just just finished up. They did some awards. Um, just looking up a lot of the same stuff we've been talking about uh, from the earlier this year. Uh, Jonathan Glazer from you know Under the Skin and Sexy Beast uh, has a new movie out called Zone of Interest, which I is getting all mm. <laughs> all of the praises and all of the awards. Uh, should be out on December eighth. Put out by A twenty four in the U S. Uh, second best one I've heard people discuss is Anatomy Anatomy of a Fall, which is directed by um, Justine Triant. Um, not sure what else she's done. Um, but it's got Sandra Huller, which people have talked about her role in a movie called um, Tony Erdman from 2016. She was very good in that. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, there's that. The second best, you know, one that's been put out there. The one's talked about uh, the most. Um, I do have a list. I'll put to, I'll put that in the notes. But I um, just wanted to go through yeah. some of them. 
have you have you heard like you like you said you didn't really try to look out for a lot of the stuff you try to avoid too much talk of it but is there anything else you've heard uh, just coming out of the festival that you're looking forward to i mean boy in the heron was definitely the one that i was i was really like uh kind of all in on and i know I've I've been hearing some good things about that one. Um, looking over the list, uh, not seeing. Doesn't it, is this a complete list that this oh. ultra article is? Cause, yeah, I'm know. not sure. Let um, me. Yeah, the, do I have? Did I give you the? Um, I have another list I was making. I'm not sure if I gave you a link to it. Let me <laughs> post it right now <laughs> as we're talking here. Let me see. Post that course, there. I'm yes, filling it's, it's... the conversation with. <laughs> ah, okay. Yes. Uh, let me see if I give you right, anyone a look. I need access. <laughs> access granted. Okay, let me refresh. Refresh. Yep. See if that works. Um, so there's there one called go. Perfect Perfect Days, directed by Wim Wenders, who obviously did uh, Paris, Texas, and Buena Vista Social Club. Um, so definitely lo looking forward to that. Um, let's see what else we got in here. Fallen Leaves, another one I've heard talk of quite a bit. Uh, Aki Kurzmaki is directing that one. Um, he mm. did. He did. Uh, let's see. Drifting Clouds, The Man Without a Past, bunch of art, very artsy fartsy, avant garde sounding movies. I've <laughs> <laughs> um, heard good things about that one. Um, what was the other one they were talking about? Oh, Passages, of course. Passages is one that's been uh, doing the film film festival circuit for a while now, um, directed by Iris Sachs. Um, let's see, starring people we know, Franz Rogogowski and Ben Wishaw and Adele. Extrapopolis, which is <laughs> a way of pronouncing that name. Uh, yes, that is a way. That is a way of doing that. So that's one that I'm definitely looking forward to. You said the Boy and the Heron is one you're looking yeah. forward to. And honestly, I'm kind of excited for Dumb Money. Not, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not joking. Looks, I know you're not. It looks, I know you're not. Yeah. It looks good. It looks good. You know, it's, I like Craig Gillespie. Yeah. You know, um, He's, I think he's, well, I mean, I liked uh, his remake of Fright Night a lot. I like Lars yes. and the Real Girl. I like Paul Dano a lot. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I liked, I liked I, Tanya. Um, and it's just weird. It's so weird, man. The sort of quickness in which they, these things are turned around because it was based on a book that was yeah. written in 2021. The event itself happened in 2021. So it's just like, man, we're just getting so close to the singularity. <laughs> the, <just> the, <laughs> the snake eating its own tail very quickly. Well, yeah, I remember Oliver Stone made a George W. Bush movie about his entire life while he was still president. Yes, exactly. George W. Bush has to think about his entire life before he bombs yeah. a brown village. Uh, let me see here. Dick's the musical. A lot of A24 stuff uh, being bought up. Yeah. Um, I am excited for the A24 re-release of Stop Making Sense. Yes. Because I'm a very big fan. Actually, I've never seen that, and I'm a very big Talking Heads fan. So I need to see that. <laughs> Yes, I can't wait for that. So this seems uh, like a good opportunity to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, some people are saying giving praise for Anna Kendrick's uh, directorial debut um, called Woman of the Hour. It's about the uh, serial killer that uh, appeared on the dating game show back in the 70s, 78, I believe. <clears throat> so looking forward to that. Um, I heard interesting things about uh, The Holdovers, the new Alexander Payne movie. Um there's that. I mean, uh, so, yeah, I like Alexander Payne. Sideways was was great. Yes. Um, let's see. Seven Veils is a Canadian drama written and directed by Adam Erdogan. Um, Adam Erdogan is a name I've heard bounced around for a while now. Um, he did Exotic in 1994. He's a, he's an Egyptian, Armenian Egyptian uh, filmmaker. 
let's see what this person has done. I'm pretty sure I've seen one of his movies. Um, let's see. Chloe from 2009, starring Julianne Moore, Liam Neeson, and Amanda Seyfried. I've uh, seen one scene of that movie. <laughs> one scene? What, what scene is that? <laughs> one scene. <laughs> don't worry about it. Uh, don't, okay. All right. Well, maybe I'll check that out and I'll let you, I'll, I'll report back. <laughs> <laughs> okay i think um, if you watch the movie you can figure out which scene it is but okay. i won't say on this podcast <laughs> all right uh dream scenario was another 824 film that was picked up at tiff uh be released in november november 10th um in, in the u.s Starring nicholas cage julianne nicholson and michael Sarah. um if you want to know anything about that you can check that out <laughs> okay. uh try, yeah just trying to hide as much uh synopsis from you as possible that's yeah, okay uh, let's see. The creator is an upcoming American science fiction action thriller film directed by Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards, what of if course. This robot boy <laughs> was a bomb. <laughs> I I know someone who has has seen this movie. Yeah, and apparently it is not very good. Oh no, that's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, I yeah. mean it's sort of that that Black Mirror thing of like, what if? Yeah, what if AI? What yeah. if robots? What if your phone? killed you right. <laughs> what if your phone <laughs> used your body what if your heat? phone was a little boy who was also <laughs> going to end the world maybe i don't know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, just well, a from the of... guy who allegedly directed rogue one but we all know who actually directed it <laughs> exactly uh a, a couple more and then we can move on uh may december is a movie i've heard quite a bit about it's another one that's made the uh made the circuit film festival circuit um 2023 American Romance Drama directed by Todd Haynes. Obviously, Todd Haynes is a massive filmmaker, has a great body of work. Not trying to buy time here as I scroll through his <laughs> Wikipedia. Todd Haynes, director of the Villa Underground documentary from 2021, Dark Waters from 2023, but is probably best known as the director of Carol from 2015. Um, another sort of, um, I heard it's like a Mary Kay Letourneau sort of, uh, sort of take on that yeah. story. It looks good. It's yes. got some really good actors in it. Yes. Um, Natalie Bortman, Julianne Moore. Show mm -hmm. should be should be pretty good. Good one of those. Uh, then the one I just added on here just now um, that was uh, just put out and had some good good discussion around it is called Origin. It is a movie written and directed by Ava, Dern Ava Dernverney. Uh, if anybody doesn't know what she directed, she did, I think she did a documentary called 13th, which is about the 13th Amendment and how that sort of been used as a uh, prison industrial complex um thing uh she did a wrinkle of time she did selma uh let's see didn't she do a documentary yeah she did uh 13th that's correct yeah first so, yes first also first woman to ever get nominated for um best first uh, african-american woman to get nominated for best director for uh selma yeah which is ridiculous <laughs> i was like what 2019 <laughs> Yeah, uh, 2015, but yeah, still. Yeah, it came out 2014, so 2015 Oscars, which is, come on, guys. Yeah, come on, Oscars. Come on. So that's that's about it. Uh, anything else you saw in here? Way to highlight. Uh, nope. Honestly, like this is you know not. I mean, there's some good <laughs> yeah. stuff in here, but it's mostly like that could be interesting. It other be, than yeah. the boy in the hair, and there's nothing on here that I'm like, oh man, I gotta see this. And nothing that's really standing out in terms of like a Killers of the Flower Moon or right. like Dune or like not not Dune but like you know just a good oh this is definitely you know up there I think Past Lives will probably mm -hmm. every conversation about um, Oscar movies nominated for Best Picture mm -hmm. next year if there is one you know that's always that possibility <laughs> that won't that won't be one but yeah 
what's it really that stands out as far as like oh that's definitely going to be you know mm. a nomination for movie itself director or or actor you know? yeah no so far I so far so far nothing it's still you know middle of middle of september so still still ways to go for that stuff yeah Yep. Um, let's see. So before we get to what we watch, let me take a break so I can uh, get a drink, take a break, and go to the bathroom. Sounds good. All right. It'll be right back. All right. All right. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. All right. Let me just swig water. All set. Let's see, push that. Yep, yep, all good. Yep, yep, yep. All right. <clears throat> and we're back. Um, so just want to go over some what we have been watching uh obviously massive list <laughs> this is uh, yeah. a lot more than i've watched in, in a while but i did have a lot of things to, to catch up on um so i'm still watching reservation dogs i believe it's going to finish out the next couple of weeks here um on his fourth season i just started the second season and it is very good um it's you know it's got it gets the humor it's got heart um really 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 good to see you know just anything any piece of media that's been put out by um, indigenous folks, you know, native folks, definitely not represented enough in our culture. Um, there's an author named Stephen Graham Jones, who's, I believe is part native American, who's written a bunch of books I've really enjoyed, but you know, just in general, uh, when it comes to people in front of the screen or in front of the camera, behind the camera, just not, not enough representation at all. So really, really good show just based on that. Nice. It's, it's, you know, I'm a big fan of Taika Waititi. Um, so yeah something that i have been meaning to check out and hopefully we'll get a chance to at some one of these days it's just a lot of tv a lot, <laughs> a lot of, TV, lot to of watch. tv yeah 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 um and then something i was uh, excited to check out because uh, i've been a big fan of his last two movies i checked out mr gardner um which is obviously parf traders third film in his unofficial white dudes 
grimacing while writing a notebook in an empty room trilogy, <laughs> which is what I'm calling that. Um, you know, obviously started off with the uh, first Reformed with Ethan Hawke. Mm. Um, next one up was uh, William Blake. The card counter. The card counter. Thank you. Yep. Uh, sorry, Oscar Isaac as a former sort of interrogator for the military, uh, working up Abu, Abu Ghraib, which was a big twist of that. And then um, I don't know if you want to know what uh, what the deal is with this movie or not. <laughs> can, you can tell me. I'm probably yeah. not going to watch it. Um, yeah, it is it. essentially about uh, Joel Egerton plays a gardener who has been in um, who's the master master of the gardening. Yes, <laughs> he <laughs> is. He has been in witness protection since for a few years at least because he's a former uh, white supremacist. So he basically flipped on his his uh, his clan there of the Ku Klux variety and uh, was put in witness protection from an FBI agent. So he's sort of. Uh, yeah, that guy. Then he sort of has this relationship with a woman, and he she finds out, you know, from his tattoos about what he was about. And um, probably my least favorite of the trilogy of this uh, unofficial trilogy. Okay. Yeah, just uh, didn't have that sort of um, uh, what do you call it? Um, form momentum in the plot of like you know, the first reform was you know, uh, Ethan Hawke's character was very much having a massive. Um, existential crisis when it comes to the climate change and being sort of mm-hmm. exposed to that and having his wor- worldview sort of flipped and very much ends on a holy shit moment and and just has this you know this this uh what am i trying to say a momentum to it that very much leads to the final moments of that movie and uh you know there was the reveal in uh, the card counter which very much could have sort of shocked you and kept you in the in script there and this movie is just sort of like uh, it's it's a very, it's a character piece and it's sort of a vibes piece. It's a hangout movie, which is weird to have a hangout movie with a former white, white <laughs> former white supremacist. But it, but that's what it right. is really. So it's just one of those that sort of like just goes like mm, just a very mm, you know that that is sort of uh, what am I trying to say? I know that I know there's a director that makes movies like that that you that you've seen before, but it's it's just sort of cooks uh, cooks in a simmer. Um... Uh, uh, Terrence yeah. Malick. Terrence Malick, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it just sort of, you know, cooks at a simmer and doesn't really go up or down yeah. at all. So not probably my least favorite of the three. So unfortunately that. Um, then I checked out Sisu, which is a movie that I was made aware of, you know, a few months ago. And I was like, okay, definitely check that out when it's available. And I did finally check it out. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> like First Blood. It's like Rambo and John Wick. Um, in in World War Two, if a Polish, if like a Polish John Wick or a Polish Rambo, just goes on this vengeance spree, killing Nazis, uh, which is which is fucking great. So <laughs> that's really yeah, all that no, is. I liked, it, not I much, liked it a lot. You, oh, you see, it's, it's not a lot of meat on the boat. It's just kind of like you want to see some Nazis get killed by a badass Finn. You're gonna get what you wanted out of this movie, you know? Yeah, and it's also just like a thing where. You can't go into this and be like, "Oh, that's not realistic." Nope, it does has no uh, predilection, has no pretension of being realistic whatsoever. So just just go in knowing that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I watched the movie that I referenced before, big one of the biggest flops of all time, uh, The Flash. Mm-hmm. You you and I both checked this out. <laughs> yeah, I was watching it uh, and texting you. Yeah. And you were like, well, now I got to watch it. And I was like, you don't. You you absolutely do not have to watch it. And you did for some reason. I've been trying to get you to watch fucking John Boy's uh, videos for a year. And you're like, oh, I'll get to it. And then I mentioned I'm watching one of the worst movies yeah. 
Or you're like, oh, well, <laughs> tomorrow's the night. Got to jump on that train. Definitely. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it feels like DC, the DCU has been just um, carbon, carbon copying the MCU for so long. And this is like their version of Endgame. This is like their, oh, they did time travel. They did, uh, you know, they commented on their past events. Let's do that. But they do it so shittily. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't understand how the film cast liked this movie. I, I listen. I remember listening to it and be like, they're, they're pretty up on this. And I just, I don't know, man. I am somebody that goes into these stuff, stuff and like, will it at least look good? Are there at least good set piece moments? Are there at least these holy shit is there at least a thing that is worth the price of admission? And I feel like there's really nothing here. Um, I feel like the whole movie is stretched. Um, I don't know it if anybody's way too, like every Andy Machete yeah. movie. It's way too fucking long. Well, no, I mean, yes, the, the, uh, the actual runtime of the movie is stretched, but I'm talking about physically the, the field of view of this movie is stretched. And I understand it's made probably done to, uh, it's done like that to invoke this feeling that you're the flash, right? That you're, if the flash is real and you're, uh, you're seeing, uh, the, the point of view from the Flash, it's gonna it's gonna look stretched like that, right? Is that their, is that what they're trying to say? I missed that. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're if you're flying, I mean, I'm not doubting you. Yeah. I say I missed it. Like I, you, yeah. you could have. I, I did not catch that. Um, maybe if I had seen it on, you know, yeah, a bigger screen, I might. Have, I mean, I have a bigger TV now, so I don't know why, how, how I didn't catch that. So, uh, like, is, like, are you saying it's like um, distorted at the edges, or yes. like it's a Okay. Yes. Um, if you've ever I mean, played yeah, like, a, I, like, yeah, like, like I was gonna say, like, um, like, because I know I definitely noticed that in like, um, no sudden move that Soderbergh yeah. movie that came out a year ago. I did not catch it in this one somehow. Um, if you've ever played like a first person game, you can you can do this in th- in third person games too. But if you if you play a game on PC, it'll let you stretch the field of view so you can see more of the edges. You can see you know more of what's going on on the uh, on the, on your peripheral vision. And I feel like this is what they did here of like, oh, the Flash is somebody mm. that when he moves, his field of view has to be wider because he's going so fast that, he, that if he can't see, you know, everything that's in front of him, but also to the side of him, then he's going to crash into shit all the time. <laughs> so I'm feeling that that's what they did was like, OK, let's let's put the viewer in the perspective of a guy going really fast. And that's what this is going to look like. And I'm like, I don't I don't need that, man. I got the feeling and I <laughs> I have the idea. I guess I get I get what you're going for, but you didn't need to do it that to that extreme. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah. Before you move on, you know, because I watched this movie too, um, as we talked about, and I I didn't love this movie, uh, but I didn't get it hated as much as you. There was I there was like obviously like I I really I didn't see this in theaters because it didn't a didn't look good and b like fuck Ezra Miller they are the worst. Um, and there was two Ezra Millers in this, so doubly annoying. Um, but I, I did actually really like Keaton as Batman. Like there was some stuff in it that was a little ridiculous, but it was just good to see him back. Um, and I thought his arc was actually kind of interesting. Um, spoilers: uh, his his death actually was I felt pretty impactful. The only really impactful thing in the whole movie I thought was his death. Um, you know, there's there like the the weird CGI. AI awful bug eyed statically standing cameos <laughs> in all room of just crashing timelines and whatever was fucking terrible. Yeah. Um, but all the real cameos I did enjoy, like, you know, like, Oh, you know, here's 
here's a Bruce Wayne Batman and Wonder Woman, you know, or like even the Nick Cage one, like I didn't mind as much because it like he I think Nick Cage was actually on set, which is why that's the one character in that sequence, the one of the uh, the Supermans that actually moves like he's and then it's like, oh, my God, he's fighting a giant mechanical spider. I lost my shit because Kevin Smith tells that story. It's it's very inside baseball, but I was like, that's yeah. so fucking funny. And then <laughs> you know the best the best th- moment of the entire movie is when he's like, oh, he got back to his reality, and then it's just fucking. He's like, here's Batman. It's George Clooney Batman. <laughs> like that was so. Good. He's like, who the fuck <laughs> are you? Fucking Batman from the worst Batman. <laughs> it's so good. Like Clooney was on board to do it. Like you're like fucking hey, It's so great. Oh my god! Like it was. It's not a good movie, but I I had fun at certain points. You know, I was there was yeah. points when I was enjoying myself. And then also, I got to say, Sasha Kali in that movie is maybe the most attractive. Looks the most attractive <laughs> that any human being has ever looked in the history of the world. Like, oh True. my god! Like, yeah. um. So that was enjoyable. Um. But yeah, not a good movie. But like, no. I kind of had fun with it. I kind of had fun with it. I'm not gonna lie. It was way too long. Like if it also had probably the worst scene I've ever seen in a movie, the fucking baby in the microwave yes. scene where he's like eating the burrito and stuff yeah. is is abysmal. It's like yes. I was like, what am I in for? I've got an, I've got two and a half hours left of this shit. Um, <laughs> that was not the low point, not only the low point of the movie, but I think the low point of cinema like that was so bad. Um yep. Just those CGI gross babies. And why does he put it in the microwave and just. It was it was really terrible. It was really te- terrible. Um, yep. And yeah, also its star is a uh, yeah. psychopath who choked all of Hawaii and is grooming young <laughs> girls. And you know, not not Kidnapping great. People. Not great. Yeah. Yeah. People, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. Just one more thing. It's just you know the the lines and the and the callbacks, the references in this movie are are <laughs> so wildly out of touch and just don't make any sense in the film itself. Where he's like, you want to get crazy? You want to? You want to get crazy? We'll get crazy. Okay. No. Yes. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts, Damien. Have some fucking respect for Michael Keaton, which is it's hey, man, such a good line in the original Batman. Team? That's the best part of the whole movie in the original Batman. <laughs> yeah, sure. Or yes. not the original Batman, but eighty nine yeah. Batman. Eighty nine Batman. Yeah. So he's they're they're trying to get him to become part of their team. The 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 new Justice League, not the new Justice League. Just like hey, in my world, we had a Justice League and it had a Batman and it had Superman. And we got some of those people, so let's do it. You want to, you want to like have this ragtag, you know, team that help us beat Zod again? And Batman's like, "You want to get nuts? Yeah, let's get nuts." So, so hey, is that a yes? Come on, guys. Is that, hey, is that a yes? Hey, you want to get nuts? Come on. Hey, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's it's right. not a good movie. No. I was just really happy to hear him say that. It didn't make any. It's not like because they were trying to do the. I you said Endgame. I think it's a lot closer to Spider-Man: Far From Home. To yeah. be honest, where they're like, oh, we're bringing back all these like characters, and you know, like someone will say like the power of the sun and palm my hand. That makes sense when he's looking at an arc reactor. It's a callback to you know <laughs> this. Like they were really stretching, like they were trying to do the same thing, but I don't think they had the right. And it's one of those movies you're like, you look at it, and there was like, there was like five or six different right like directors and writing teams that passed on through this, and some of them are like really like John Francis Daly, who yeah. you know obviously worked on freaks and geeks and or he was from freaks and geeks and then he he wrote game night he wrote uh spider-man uh the first in the mcu trilogy and then he recently did dungeons and dragons which thank god he got off this into dungeons and dragons because yeah. that movie is 
low-key one of the best movies of the year it is yes um and you know like and like a and like phil lord and chris miller worked on a draft and it just like it just kept going through different directors and yeah this movie was never going to be good uh no not, not never gonna be great <laughs> no yeah just a frankenstein of a movie yeah you're right um yeah. so let's go to some stuff you've watched um you checked out the haunting in venice which i've heard has gotten pretty decent reviews yeah, so you know this is the new Poirot movie, the the new recent one in the <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. I am Hercule Poirot, and uh, I am here investigating. Like Kenneth Branagh is not good at accents, uh, <laughs> but it's it's but like I I didn't see the first one of these. I watched the second one, and it was really bad. Um, but I was interested in this one because a it's I love genre mashups, and it's like oh, what if we like took a different angle and made it more of a like. Because the the trailers make it look like a straight up like horror movie. It's more of like a uh, kind of mystery. It's like a it's like a it's classic detective story mixed mixed with like a kind of psychological thriller almost. And that element is really cool that it combines these two stories. It's kind of a, like a really cool ghost story while also being a cool detective story. I liked that. Um, so I, and also I was interested because you know we've seen Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile adapted multiple times both of those have been adapted at least three or four or five times uh this was based on halloween party which is an agatha christie which to my knowledge has never been adapted uh and i i had fun with it you know and part of it might have been i saw it with my friend and we kind of laughed at all the you know kind of dumb stuff at in it um but it kind of knew that it was a little bit silly at times i feel like and kind of <laughs> like went along with it i don't know how much of the Humor was intentional, but there's things that happen like, you know, he'll be like, ah, yes, this is what happens when you, like, he'll just say something and Tina Fey will be like, that's not, a, that's not an expression there. Honey, I'm not that the job. Tina Fey doing a weird accent. Everybody's doing a weird accent in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, and, you know, I, I kind of like the, the, the twists and turns of this one. Um, it's one of those movies, I love movies that are like, are ghosts real? I don't know. Maybe we'll just have to watch the movie and find out. And I'm like, you're like, this is the third in a movie where, like, a third in a trilogy of where there have not been ghosts. So I don't know if there's going to be ghosts in this one, but it's like, who knows? Maybe you'll have to watch the movie and find out. So yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's it was a very uh, very fun watch. I I would recommend it. All right, very cool. Yeah, I haven't checked out any of the um, any of the Brana. Puro, Hercule Pro uh, films yet, so maybe I'll do a, a triple feature when this comes out in VOD. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll be out on Hulu or HBO Max because there's the, yeah the deal where they have to come out on both. Yeah, I saw that. Now they're just basically everything's on everything, right? Because they have HBO shows on Netflix yeah. now. So yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because it's it has to do with the, like the deal with when Disney bought 20th Century Fox, so Fox yes. movies have to be on both. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And you also checked out Oppenheimer in IMAX 70 millimeter. So how long did you like, um, did you get a reservation like two months ago and you just got a spot now or did you <laughs> find one on the day or how did this work? I, I found one on the day. It's, it's by this point it has the, the calamity. I, oh, I didn't find one on the day. I got it. I think the night before, um, gotcha. uh, the calamity has died down, but it was still like, and you know, it's a big theater. Um, but it was still like even getting the ticket a little bit, you know, a day before, you know, uh, I it was still kind of crowded, you know. Uh, so, you know, I I I was glad that I I got in. Nice. Uh, what'd you think of it? 
and 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 millimeters and all the 70 millimeters <laughs> <laughs> well it's it was you know it's it's cool and there was like the you know there's like this i don't know exactly how it happened other than the really good marketing of like you got to see this movie in 70 millimeter imax it's the way no one intended and there's only in the entire world 30 of the, those true imax screens like there's a bunch of yeah. li- quote unquote limax screens but like in the full big imax there's 19 in the US and Canada, I think. And I just happened to live pretty close to one of them. So I was like, well, let me go and check this out. And it was, it was honestly like, I get it. I get why there was such uh like, cause you know, I'm not saying that I want to, I have to see every single movie in that IMAX 70 millimeter. And I've seen other movies in that, that same, on that same screen. I saw yeah. Indiana Jones five on that screen, which it was projected. I think it was digital. I don't think it was, uh in film but i was kind of surprised at how much i really noticed the difference because i've always been kind of like yeah film and you know digital sure if you've got a trained eye you can tell the difference but but you i really did it it felt it was kind of like wow this is like old school movie magic you know like you yeah. i could hear the whir of the projector and stuff like that and you know like you could see that like you could really tell like oh wow this is being projected on film which so, you know, I, I usually I don't think that film is better than digital by any means. But yeah. if it's something shot on film, making seeing it on film makes sense. And some of those scenes like blowing up the atom bomb, you know, spoiler alert for <laughs> a movie that's based on the most famous thing that ever happened. <laughs> yeah. uh, like I was like, fuck, like on that humongous screen, it looked rad as shit. Like it was, <laughs> and you know, my initial I, I wrote in my, my letterbox review when I watched it, I was like, yeah, bumping it up from four and a half stars to an even five because it was impressive. It was it was really, really cool to see it like that, even though there was a fly that got on the lens for a little while, you know, oh, and wow. I, I, I got a weirdly little nostalgic because, you know, I worked at a movie theater from 2007 to 2009. Uh, so I saw the transition. I saw I was there when you know a hundred plus years of you know film projectors went away when the projectionists all you know they got transferred to other positions in the theater because they were no longer needed they when it all went to digital i saw that all happen and to be like yeah we're dusting off the old projectors we're bringing out this (laughs) eighteen thousand mile long fucking strip of film and you know and 70 millimeter looks fucking great. Like, you know, it's hard to uh, compare digital and film, but, you know, allegedly it's 70 millimeters about on par with, I think it was like 12K. So it looked yeah. fucking great. It really did look uh, amazing. And I'm not saying that I, I want to see every movie this way, but it was really cool to see this movie like this because this was the way it was intended to be seen and i glad i'm glad i got to do that nice very cool um let's see justified city primeval um are you a justified head you've been following the the uh, adventures of john justified yes john justified also <laughs> known as raylan gibbons uh <laughs> i'm i'm a very very big justified fan uh, i think the original series is one of the best tv shows ever made um i liked this a lot but I think it would have been better if it was just City Primeval because it's based on a book that is by Elmore Leonard, who also wrote 
a lot of stuff with Raylan Givens in it, including Fire in the Hole, which Justified is based on. Um, and Raylan Givens is not in City Primeval. Um, and there's a whole lot of machinations about why this became a Justified thing. Um, but it, I think it would have been like as much as I love Raylan, and it was kind of it felt like a spinoff of Justified. Like it was like weird to say that because he's the main character, but it right. really did feel like a spinoff because none of the other characters are in it. So much of Justified is about this relationship that Raylan has with this, at least after season one, uh, when it really cooks. Like season one, you're like oh, it's finding its footing, yeah. um, but season like from then on out, it's it's about Raylan and um you know the boyd played by walton goggins um and you know so the, you know then this so this was a much different animal you know instead of walton goggins you have a boyd holbrook who don't get me wrong i love boyd holbrook but you know the characters didn't have that history and w- wally goggins is just he's just the best and i and i wouldn't have wanted it to though be that because that the story of justified was done it ended it ended perfectly um and to they had brought back you know walton goggins and made it this season like justified season eight or whatever it yeah. wouldn't have worked for me and i think that i'm worried that they might try and like no spoilers but that they might try and do that in the future where they might try to bring back walton goggins and Raylan and have but i'm like you ended it so good it ended <laughs> so good. Just leave it. Leave it be. Let yeah, sure yeah. Raylan had this other side adventure, which was fine. But leave it be. Leave it be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. Um, let's see here. Super Evil. My big fat Greek wedding part three. <laughs> What'd you think of this? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I hadn't seen my Greek pack. My big fat Greek wedding part two <laughs> or part one. Okay. Uh, so mm-hmm. I was just with some friends and they were like, what do you want to, they were, the group <laughs> chat was like, what should we see? Golda, the equalizer three or my Greek, big fat Greek wedding three. It was like, and I just kind of didn't say anything. Cause I was like, well, I'm not that interested in Golda <laughs> and I have not seen equalizer one or two either. Yeah. So they were like Greek, big fat Greek wedding. So I was like, sure. sure. You know, it's, it's, I think people are really hating on this movie. Um, me, who has no connection to the big fat Greek wedding movies, I'm just like, whatever. Yeah. It was a slightly below par kind of like rom-com, rom travel movie slash advertisement for Greece. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. I had no emotional connection to any of these characters. Some of the stuff yeah. is fun. There's some fun moments. There's one character in particular that I really liked. I'm and I'm gonna try and look up her name real fast because she's she's like a Greek actress and she's kind of doing this thing which is like ah yes I am the mayor. Da, da, da. And you're just like you're, she's just fucking great. She's just you just like <laughs> want to be best friends with her and like go live in her Greek town that has like six people that lives in it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was uh it was not good. It was not good. Not good. Okay. Um, but it was. <laughs> It, it it was uh it was fu- it was fun. It was fun. Um, yeah. Oh, her name is her, yeah. Her character's name is Victory, and she's played by and I'm gonna butcher this. Uh, Melina Costello. Costello. Cost. Cost. I don't know. Yeah, but she was great. Oh, uh, yeah. Let me see her name. Uh, Maria. Yeah, Vectra. Vec. Vectra. Interesting how different pronunciations. Maria. Vectra. Vectra. I don't think it's the same. It's it's K O T S E L O U. 
Oh, okay. Oh, yes. Melina yes, yes. Costel, Costello. 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 Yeah. yeah sure. Like, yeah. Costello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Very cool. Yeah, I got this another one. I got to check off my bucket list of like those movies. Haven't seen those. Haven't seen any Equalizers. Have you seen the Equalizers? I haven't. That's what I was saying. I hadn't seen. Oh. I hadn't gotcha. seen Equalizer one or two either. So two, I was like, yeah. well, it's my options are a movie that I don't really <laughs> care about or two part threes of movies that I have not seen part one or two of. <laughs> and you also checked out Hypnotic, which is another um, another movie that Ben Affleck is in this year. They got, uh, they got trounced on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, this movie um, <laughs> is a movie that came out. It's a movie that and, came out. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, surprising to everyone. This is a movie that cost $65 million, starred Ben Affleck, was directed by Robert Rodriguez, and nobody heard about it. Nope. Because, the, yeah, like, did you hear about this movie, Hypnotic? I heard, I've heard tale, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a movie that, because it didn't get, like, any advertising, pretty much, because the production company that was making the movie collapsed mid-making the movie, so some other random studio called ketchup entertainment had to take <laughs> over and d- the distribution. And even though it got a wide theatrical release, it was literally out of theaters a month later. It went from 2000 theaters in its second week to 69. Nice. In its nice. third week, stayed at 69 in its fourth week. And then it was completely gone. It cost <laughs> $65 million to make it made domestically about four. <laughs> Jesus. Like, like I know we were saying the Flash, the Flash like lost more money because it yeah. costs a lot more. But right. like percentage wise, this is that is one of the biggest bombs in the history of movies. It's got to be, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I'm just looking up who is in this thing. Wow. All right, Alice it's, Braga. It's, and it's here's the thing. Yeah. It's a bad movie. It's a right. very bad movie. Okay. And I know I talked a lot of shit on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> but you know, like. Critics know what they're talking about sometimes. sometimes. They're right, yes. And yep. and I yeah, like yeah, like you know, if you are a fan of any individual critic who reviewed this movie, I would say go read their review because yeah. most of them were like, "Hey, this is a bad movie." And they're right. It's just like Robert Rodriguez saw Inception and was like, "I could do that." And it's like, mm, "You can't." Uh, you can't. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was wondering like what's what's the general like synopsis of this movie. It's like Okay, Robert Rodriguez trying to make Inception. Got it. Cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you like do you that. like mind-numbingly dumb twists that happen every five <laughs> minutes? Yeah. Like you're like, oh, that's an interesting twist. Oh, but it's actually this. Oh, that's less interesting. But it's actually this. That's worse. Oh, but wait. And you're like, stop. <laughs> Please stop. That's amazing. All right. Yeah. <laughs> let's see. So let's go back to me for a minute here. Uh saw some pretty good movies actually the last couple of days. Saw Theater Camp, which is a comedy film. Uh, yeah, directed by Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman. Uh, for those who don't know, Molly Gordon plays um, Claire in The Bear from the season. She's very uh-huh. good in that. Yes, and apparently she was also a theater kid back in the day. I think she's posted um, clips of her back in the day when she was the theater kid. Um, yeah, this is this is great. This is a great um, in the in the same vein as something like. Um, Waiting for Guffman, uh, that movie. Um, mm. You know, it's it's a docu. What do they call those? Um, uh, uh, like a fake documentary, like yeah. a mockumentary. Mockumentary. Thank you. Yep. So it's in the same vein of those 
of those uh, Christopher Guest type movies. Uh, but it's really well done. Really, I I have heard tale again <laughs> of Ben Platt <laughs> as a person, as an actor, as an actor playing a person who's supposed to be like fifteen when he's twenty eight and it doesn't work at all <laughs> in that <laughs> movie made by uh, what was that movie he was in that was based on the musical? Um, I don't know. <laughs> he got. He got. He got uh, ravaged for it. What was he? He was playing a kid. Oh, oh, the fucking uh, dear Evan Hansen. Dear Evan Hansen. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. I've heard things about that. I've heard things about Ben playing as a person, and I was like, oh, maybe. I'm not sure what to <laughs> think about this going into it, but I really, really did enjoy it. I think it's got. It's got those like tropes of like the literal trope of we're at a camp. And it's going to be sold. At the end of the summer, if we don't come up with the money, like that, that mm. <laughs> incredibly played out trope of the the eighties trope. We got to save the community center. Right. We got we got to save the ski lodge. We got to save the thing from the big bad corporation over there mm-hmm. that's going to buy us up. Uh, but it's really well done because obviously they are everybody in this does their thing very well. They're all they're all theater kids. They're all singers. They're all dancers. So they do that stuff very well. I think the yeah. The thing that comes to a movie that's what am I trying to say? Hold on, try that again. A stamp of approval of a movie that's like this is you have to have love for the craft of the thing that you're mocking. You can't make a bad version of the thing mm-hmm. you're mocking because then you're just, then you're just being cruel. So everybody's very mm-hmm. good at the, what they're doing and they're very good at the thing they're mocking. So the the product at the end of it, whether you know they're, they're self aware of how of how just you know kind of lame this kind of this this can seem to outsiders but they definitely have the heart in there of you know these people are outcasts in their own schools i think that's being less of a less of a thing now these days right because if you're a kid into school now mm-hmm. and you're you're gay or whatever you're much more accepted than they used to be but it's still you know you, you're still you don't have that found family that that those group of people that you want to hang out with all the time so it's very much about that too so really really well well done uh, on all those counts you know, I really want to see this, but yes. I kind of feel the same way. Like, you know how if you ever you have any friends who like worked in a restaurant and are like, I can't handle the bear. It's too stressful. <laughs> yeah, it's too real. That's kind of how I would because I was a theater major for a while. I did theater in yeah. high school. I feel like this would be like, like I even like watching the trailer. I was like, oh, my God, this is so <laughs> fucking, flashbacks. Nam. Yeah, it's like, yeah, this is too real. Like, this is yeah. exactly how it is. These are exactly how these everyone being around all these people with fucking main character syndrome is like like yeah it's it's like it would be too i don't know i'll I'll watch it but i feel like it's just gonna be very very triggering i i can imagine so i can imagine so like just the the one kids being um there's a lot of people from book smart in this my gordon was in book smart mm-hmm. um there's a few people in this um that were from that movie as well so it's got the same feeling of that um too um so yeah very very good and it's, a, it's streaming right now on hulu so if you have hulu uh, you can watch yeah. it on there. Um, and then one last thing. Uh, I watched uh, Rotting in the Sun, which movie is now uh, being a distributor of movies, just like uh, A24 yeah. is, except, except they have their own uh, streaming channel. So anything they pick up at a film festival is immediately put out on their service, which was what happened here, um, which is a movie called Rotting in the Sun, uh, directed by Sebastian Silva, which is somebody I haven't really heard of before, but apparently he's been big in the uh indie movie circuit for a long time he's a chilean filmmaker um made a bunch of movies previously um to this um and yeah it's a very uh it's a very meta movie it's about him uh sort of 
know, a working actor or a working director, a working artist living in a rundown sort of warehouse, but it's being transitioned to um, a housing facility, a, a resident building. So he's doing that, and he sort of gets a call from somebody from a from a social media influencer who wants to make a, a play or something, and he's so so he goes down to this um, goes down to this gay like nudist colony, and they're talking about making the movie, and uh, he comes back. I won't, I won't reveal too much of the of the plot, but I just just want to talk about these scenes that are very indicative of the tone of the movie. So he goes down to this gay nudist colony he meets up with this guy that wants to do a project with him he's like oh, i'm not really sure blah 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 and then he comes back and um he goes missing the sebastian silva character does the Sebastian silva stand-in goes back to his his flat and he goes missing for some reason and so his friend that he met at the gay club at the at the gay colony comes back with all his like this, this entourage of people <laughs> and they're like oh we're gonna make this thing and everybody's gonna be part of it blah 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 and and very quickly it becomes this like murder mystery of of this very uh, flamboyantly gay man trying to figure out who killed who who possibly killed his friend, and he's there's this parts where he's like he's basically saying okay we got this 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 gay orgy has to stop right now because we have a serious problem <laughs> we have to figure out <laughs> we have to figure out where this person went to so it's just like it's this very um, close to reality and very uh, I forget what the word is um, it's it's a word that means like. Very close, like one step uh, removed from reality. Um, I forget what the word for that is, but it, it's this weird, like, is this really happening? Who are these people? It, does this, is this a real actor? Blah, 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 that sort of thing. Um, so it's mm-hmm. a very, very interesting movie. I would highly, highly recommend if you, if you have movie, which is a, ser- a service I've really been sleeping on because it's, it's got these movies that I really have never really been into. And it's got these, you know very avant-garde movies and avant-garde directors and it's a it's a service that puts on it's, it's different um in the sense that they put a new movie on there every day so every day you, you jump on there there could be a new movie which is different than all the other services which kind of you know will remove things on a, on a weekly to monthly basis so it's different in that respect and uh, i think it's a, i think it's a streaming service i'm going to be trying out more in the future just based on based on stuff like this i'm not i've always like you know scroll past it like okay i'll get to that someday Maybe I'll try this movie someday, but yeah, definitely one of those that I'm glad I finally checked out. Um, and also, Volver is on there as well, so I'm definitely going to check out more of uh, Pedro Almodovar's movie. I checked out Vol- uh, Vol- <laughs> Volver for the first time, uh, which is obviously one of his most acclaimed movies from 2006, starring Penelope Cruz and Carmen Mor- Mora, uh, which is uh, yeah, it's very good. Obviously, one of his most mm. one of his most acclaimed movies. I believe it was uh, nominated for <clears throat> Best Foreign Movie that year. Uh, so yeah, very, very good. I recommend both of those yeah. on movie. I mean, I had it, I had movie. I got the free trial to watch decision to leave, which ended up being one of my oh, favorite yes, movies yes. of the year. Yeah. 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 Um, have you seen that? Yes. Okay. And, and then I, I was like, cool, I've got movie for a month now. And then I didn't watch anything. And then I was about to cancel <laughs> like, Hey, 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 you want to stay for maybe another two months for free? And I was like, okay. And then I never <laughs> used it. And I was like, sorry guys uh like you see like it seemed like a cool service but i'm not using you i just wanted to watch decision to leave and i got rid of it yes they had they had some very strange movies on there very strange directors mm-hmm. um yeah so there, there's that there's that uh let's see anything else oh i got i uh, listened to blowback i actually subscribed to their entire uh back catalog so i checked out um their sort of uh three seasons so far they have their fourth season out right now which is about um 
sort of 9-11, everything that led up to it. I think they're probably might be finishing the whole series because um, the first season was about the Iraq war and how it sort of kicked off with 9-11. And so now they're going full circle and talking about uh, everything that led up to 9-11 and how Bush's father um, had like business ties with bin Laden for a while. Mm. So, you, so you definitely learn a lot more than you think, you know, I thought, you know, it's one of those people that kind of, I had the idea of like what's going on with all of that, you know, back in 2003, 2004 with the Iraq war and them doing um, protests for it. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. It's probably not, they're probably making up a lot of what they're talking about with the WMDs and all that. And it's just very, very shocking that that excuse to go into Iraq was used as mm-hmm. a pretense for just doing like uh, economic sanctions on multiple different countries that were, that had no WMDs and had no, um, they had no, uh, what do you call it, um, ambition to uh, produce weapons of war, like Cuba, like Iran, like Iraq, like even even uh, during the, the Korean War, they were talking about North Korea trying to get uh, bioweapons and stuff like that. So it's just this played out <laughs> at that time. It wasn't even a played out, uh, it was a played out excuse for invading countries and, and putting e- economic sanctions on countries. And just just to speak to that for a second, the economic sanctions is something they always tried out as like, okay, this is our first like soft, like, uh, you know, aggression against another country for doing things they don't, for, for them doing things we don't want them to be doing. It's like, okay, well, how bad they could be. And it's like, if people knew how, what the effect economic, economic sanctions can do in a country, they would be charged with, you know, war crimes. Uh, economic terrorism is is something they talk about a lot in, in the series of how much damage you can cause to a country just by saying you can't import, you know, medicine and food and other other things that, you know, most other countries enjoy in the 20th, 20th century, 21st century. So just a very, mm-hmm. you know, unflinching look at the, the, the sort of imperialism that the U.S. is engaged in over the past 80 years so there's that yeah yeah highly, highly recommend <laughs> yeah just <laughs> not not uh, not, not cheery he- stuff but yeah heavy stuff heavy stuff very heavy stuff yeah 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 um the next month they're gonna have a um tv version of a book called lessons chemistry which i listen to it's one of those like white women love this book because it's about white women in like mm. the 50s and 60s but that don't include oh, no, I, I work at the i work at the bookstore i know i know who's <laughs> buying it plenty of middle-aged white women are like oh a book for us mm-hmm. finally oh cool <laughs> <laughs> um it's fine it's a fine version of that of like how bad women had it in the white women white women had it in the 50s and 60s and 70s and blah 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 which they did i'm not saying they didn't but it's just it's always funny to see uh, books written by women in the 60s and 70s be like we really had it bad and you did but you know other people had it even worse so <laughs> anyways mm-hmm. uh should be a really good uh, uh program put out by uh, apple P- uh, apple tv plus october 13th it's starring brie larson so i'll be checking out just to see how it changed um so yeah recommend watching that when that comes out anything you've been reading reading listening to the past couple of weeks uh I took a break from reading when I went on my vacation. Haven't really gotten back into it until today when I just, I just start. I'm still in the preface, but I just started today. Um, the book, the 
uh, what's it called? The Rise and Reign of Mammals, I think is the title, uh, is the follow-up to the uh, Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs, the book from a couple years back, um, which I was a very big fan of. So now I'm reading this book, which, you know, both are written by the paleontologist. Let me, I'm going to get his name here in a sec, but I'm very interested in that. It's because it is, you know, it's a lot of interesting scientific facts, but it is written in a very engaging way, which I think uh, is very important. Yeah, very cool. Um, it's a physical book. That's a real book. Real. Yes, it's a physical. <laughs> I read physical books. I don't. I don't listen to things at three times speed while, uh, yeah. uh you know, or whatever. Like, uh, yeah, the, the books. Books are a, uh, you know, that's the me. I prefer to consume things in the medium <laughs> that they're intended. I listen to my podcasts. I don't read my podcasts, and I uh, read my books. I don't listen to my books. Uh, <laughs> Rise and Reign of Mammals, though, uh, okay. that is by. Steve uh, Bruschetti, if I'm pronouncing nice. that right. Yeah, very cool. There's a few books that I've been recommended that that haven't had a uh, audio distribution uh, for them. Mm-hmm. One's called Maggie's Grave. It's uh, written by David uh, Sutergren. It's basically about a small Scottish town in the special, small Scottish town of Ockmoland is dead and has been dying for years. Um, mm-hmm. and it's about a. Uh, uh, Irish woman, I think, was uh, a witch that was burned at the stake, and now her body's coming back to life. I'm not really sure what that's about, but been checking that out for a little bit. So, yeah, been been reading quite a bit this past couple of years. Um, so I think that'll do it. I think that'll wrap it up, right? Anything else you want to talk about? I think yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we yes. got the uh, letterbox shuffle, right? Letterbox you did your assignment, right? Obviously, shuffle. you always do that. <laughs> As I always do. I think I might have done it by accident. Yes. Let me see what I had last time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, talk to me. I gotta see talk to me, man. That thing's that thing's out, but I don't want to spend twenty it's bucks so to watch it. Fucking good. Yeah. Nice. It's so uh, fucking good. It's it's on my sh- my long list of movies um, yeah. for twenty twenty three. Um. So the problem I have right now, I think some things are playing, but I added them based on the uh, the TIFF recommendations. So let's let's see what happens if I go by. Um, where is services, my services available to stream and I'll hit shuffle. Bibliotechi. Okay. So this is going to be one I will watch anyways, was planning on because it's for the Hooptober, um, list Hooptober challenge. Bibliotechi from 1955 directed by Henrik George Kluzout about a Cruel and abusive headmistress of a boarding school is murdered by an unlucky duo, his meek wife and the mistress. He brazenly flaunts. Oh boy, he flaunts her brazenly. Wow. All right. <laughs> so I'll be checking that out. All right. For next time, Derek, shuffle your watch list. Let me know what well, you Well, before get. I do that, I'm going to yes. talk about the movie I watched for last oh, time because I actually wow. did the assignment. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. I know, right? What a, what a novel, what a novel idea. Concept, yes. Uh, yeah, but I got um, a movie that you loved, that uh, Dion loved, uh, Apollo Ten and a Half. Oh, and nice. this movie was fucking boring. I really <laughs> did not enjoy watching this movie. Uh, <laughs> there is a 10-minute sequence where Jack Black just lists TV shows that he, as Richard Linklater, used to watch. 
And I'm like, great, I could do that too. Boy Meets World, uh, Sabrina <laughs> the Teenage Witch. Like, I could, it just goes on for 10 minutes. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Okay. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm okay. just so good for Richard. Like, if you like Richard Linklater, good for you. Like, he's not my speed at all. I really like the Before Trilogy. But I have not okay. really liked anything else he's made um, that I've seen Since at least. Then? Uh, Since then? Since then? Since the Before Trilogy? Yeah, like I, I, like Before Sunset is a perfect movie, um, and the other two are very good as well. But like, I don't know, man. Uh, this, the, and I'm just, I'm so done with the like. Well, a director's got to tell you about his whole life before. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm so fucking over that. Like, I, okay. I really right. didn't like Belfast. Yeah. Like even Steven Spielberg, one of my all-time favorite directors, like the master. I thought that yes. the Fablemans was the best possible version of that, and it's. Sure pretty good you know it's <laughs> yeah. pretty good uh i just i can't watch another fucking movie about the director's childhood and how <laughs> like sp- how he was who's a little white boy who fucking loved movies i don't need sure. to hear any more sure. of that shit it's all just sure. white dudes talking about them growing up in the fucking 60s and i'm done with it honestly yeah all right very cool um let me see i'm trying to think yeah i watched this last year i want to say when it, i think it came out last year yeah it was, was on Netflix. your list right your top 10 yes it it was yeah I mean it was just um I, you know I'm reading some stuff about this now where it's about um have those moments of where you're just a kid and you're like you think a day is like forever and you think the summer's gonna last forever I think that what the whole movie is about was like that one summer right or was it yeah it's like that summer like in the way your memories get mixed up and yeah they get rotoscoped sometimes or whatever. <laughs> Um, you know, it just feels like fucking forever. Like the summers when you're when you're like eight, eight, nine, ten yeah. years old, they feel like they last fucking forever. And those those moments of like you're you're falling asleep and you sort of remember it. And there, I do think it's a very fascinating um, uh, inspection or, or a meditation or whatever you want to call it. Of like we're on the fucking moon, holy shit! And then ten minutes later, you're like, all right, what else is on? <laughs> you know, it's just like these massive. Yeah. Just leaps in technology and the human fortitude and going places we've never been before where we're not supposed to be. And then it's like five minutes later, we're like, all right, cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this thing is very cool. Like, uh, you know, present, uh, presenting that sort of dichotomy of we wanted, we want this thing so fucking bad. Then we finally get it. We're like, now what? You know? Yeah. But it's like, yeah. as you say, based on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know that's that's cool. I I thought First Man <laughs> kind of did that a lot better, yeah. uh, but you know what? Like what you like. like I didn't like, like it, but I'm glad that it worked for you. Sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Go All right, to time your... to shuffle though. Shuffle. Yeah. Yep. I okay. chopped it down from my 495 list. I chopped out stuff that's not streaming short films. Chopped out because I know you despise short films <laughs> for some reason, and I chopped out TV shows. <laughs> Let me hit shuffle. Yes. All right. Uh, best picture winner from uh, the movie came out in '96. Best picture winner, I believe, in '97, unless I'm wrong here. Uh, the English Patient. Oh God! Oh, oh God! Oh jeez! <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess this is good luck with that. Uh, gonna be depressing, probably. Yeah. Uh, Long but and hey, depressing. You know, Ray yeah. Fiennes, Willem Dafoe. Yeah. You know. <laughs> All right, we'll be checking out that for next time. All right, so oh, yeah. Uh, let's plug all the stuff. Um, let's see. I think I did a list, you know, slight, some slight reviews of stuff on my letterbox B for Benedetta, B underscore for Benedetta on there. Uh, let me see what I did here. 
yeah, a little bit for Riding the Sun, Volvere, I talked about that a little bit on there. Um, Sisu did a little, little bit of review for that. Uh, so check out that there. Uh, follow me on there. I'm still 12 away from 100 followers. Um, go to Film Essayist on YouTube. Go to Spotify for podcasters. Sign up there to make a podcast very easily. And check out all my interviews with Cinematech, BR Jaeger, iFanboy, all those guys. Check out that stuff. Derek, what you get to plug? So I got to plug my podcast, Underrated, which, uh, of course, you were a guest host on recently. We talked about Big Fish. Uh, this co- that comes out the same day as this does, though. And today's episode talked about one of my all-time favorite movies, Moon, from 2009, Moon. the nice. directorial debut of uh, Duncan Jones. Yep. Uh, so, you know, just a really great low-key sci-fi movie. Um that I enjoyed quite a bit. So check out Underrated. It's on all the podcast apps. Uh, it's kind of had a revamp recently, kind of a remodel. Uh, so all new Instagram, all new, the new Patreon. Um, so trying to get some more followers on there um, because it's all fresh and new. All the ones we had are, are Thanos snapped away. Uh, <laughs> so there's all that. Uh, so, you know, you're so inclined. Check Check that show out. Listen to that. Uh, and then also, I can't say too much, but I did get a, a new writing gig recently. Uh, maybe I'll be able to mention it next time I'm on the show. Yeah. But cool. it's a uh, it's a uh, kind of under wraps for now. But yeah, yeah, very cool. All right, yeah. So check all that stuff out. And for can I say something? I've been Damien. I've been Derek. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.